Word on Fire is brought to you by Catholic Cemeteries, serving the Chicago area since 1837. This is Cardinal Francis George, and I invite you to join me for the next few minutes to reflect with Father Robert Barron on the Word of God, which is the Word on Fire. Father Barron will challenge us to open our hearts to the Word on Fire, which is God's Word of love for each of us. If our hearts are open, the Lord can change and transform us so that we might speak with love about the one who is love. The Archdiocese of Chicago, through the generosity of Sacred Heart Parish in Winnetka, now presents the Word on Fire. Peace be with you. Friends, on this first week after Christmas, we come to the Feast of the Epiphany. It's one of my favorite feasts of the church year. One of the most beautiful and theologically significant feasts. You know, at the end of the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus says, Go and preach to all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Very soon after his conversion experience, Paul resolves that he must become the apostle to the Gentiles. And he goes on several very long journeys to Gentile nations. In his letter to the Galatians, Paul says, In Christ, there is no Jew or Greek no slave or free, no man or woman. Even the most basic divisions among us are overcome in him. Peter, this simple fisherman from Capernaum, ends his days in distant Rome, the capital of this great Gentile empire. We take all these sayings and actions more or less for granted. Well, sure, that's what the first Christians did. But mind you, these are first century Jews we're talking about. And this kind of internationalism was a staggering novelty for Jews of the first century. Keep in mind, Jews held themselves to be chosen people, the distinctive race chosen by God for God's purposes, hanging on to, cultivating their distinguished marks of belief and culture and practice. Well, that was basic to their sense of national identity. God gave Israel the law because he specially loved Israel. Now, of course, there are hints here and there in the Old Testament, especially in the prophet Isaiah, hints that there is an international destiny for all this, that all the nations would come to Mount Zion, that Israel's purpose was international. But to be fair, most of the Old Testament has this rather nationalistic flavor to it. Israel among the nations, against the nations. Israel is not a proselytizing religion, not an actively missionary religion. But then it all changed. Decisively, dramatically, it all changed. And it signaled right from the beginning. The Christ child is born, and who comes? Well, yes, first the shepherds, First, it's the Jews in that vicinity who accept him, see him, but very shortly thereafter. There come magi from the East, astrologers, people from foreign and Gentile lands. What's being signaled? This internationalism that is implicit in the Incarnation. The Gospel writers are trying to say, What's on display in this little Christ child 
is not simply the king of the Jews, not simply one more local potentate, one more local tribal leader. But what's on display in him is God's own self. And listen, as I've said a thousand times, God is not one being among many. But rather, as the creator of all things, God is that which transcends all space, all time, and therefore that which impinges upon all space and time. God cannot be simply the God of this sequestered area. He can't be the God simply of that nation or that culture or this time or place. But God is the Lord of all creation. Which is why when this child arrives, there is immediately, automatically, this international interest, the overcoming of the barriers and the boundaries in him. Something transnational, transhistorical, transcultural in Jesus. You know, it's wonderful, even though we know almost nothing about the Magi, just this one little reference in Matthew's Gospel. But yet, they've captured the imaginations of Christians for centuries. I love the fact that in most depictions of the Magi, they're seen as representatives of different races. Usually one of the wise men is depicted as a black African, for example. Now, again, historically, we know nothing about him. It's probably historically inaccurate. But, but, it's theologically and spiritually accurate. Christ has come for all the nations. In Christ, there is no Jew or Greek. These most basic divisions among us have been overcome in him. And Christians, this internationalism is our hope. I'll say it again. This internationalism made visible in Christ is our hope. Nationalism, I suppose it has certain virtues, but as far as I'm concerned, it's mostly been a curse for the human race. My country, my culture, my people, my perspective, yes, there's something valuable in that. Sure there is, affirming my own culture, but it carries such a baggage of negativity over the centuries because nationalism has been at the ground of so many of our conflicts. Gosh, especially in modern times. Go back to the very dawn of modernity, the period just after the Protestant Reformation. What do you find but these terrible wars of religion, which then morph into terrible nationalistic wars, and they characterize the modern history of Europe? Well, of course, into the 20th century, the last century, which was riven by these terrible nationalistic struggles. That's what World War I, World War II were, the struggles of nations, the clash of cultures. What a wonderful relief, what a kind of splendid revelation when Paul says, in Christ there's no Jew or Greek. Can we hear now in our time, there's no American and Frenchman, there's no Russian and, and Arab, there's no African and Australian, that somehow in Christ all these divisions are overcome. Something more important than the nation, something more important than the state, something more compelling than my particular culture has been revealed. And it's this baby of Bethlehem 
who is the God-man. And the possibility of participating in Him, the possibility of living the life that He holds out to us, that becomes infinitely more compelling than any of our particularistic concerns which have caused the human race such suffering over the centuries. Our particularizing obsessions, they're overcome in principle in Him. You know, it's wonderful too, we can find hints of this all throughout the Gospels. The first one here is the Magi. The first one is the visit of the Magi. But we can see it too in Christ's praise of the Roman centurion. Not in all of Israel have I seen such faith as in this man. Well, that was shocking stuff. This, this Gentile, this oppressor of our people, yes, in him I find the faith that I am trying to awaken in the world. Who receives a special approbation from the Lord but the Syrophoenician woman. Again, a Gentile on the margins of Jewish society. The sign over Christ's cross is written in Hebrew, yes, for his own people, but also in Greek and in Latin because that cross, the salvation made available on that cross is destined for all the nations. And so in Christ's cross, we overcome our divisions. It's in Hebrew, Latin, Greek. By extension, it's in all the languages of the world. The internationalism of the gospel. You can also see it in the temple. The curtain in the temple at the death of Christ is torn in two from top to bottom. That means revealing the Holy of Holies, revealing the center of the temple to all the nations. Now, what emerges from Christ Jesus? The church. Christ gives birth to his body, the church. It's born from his wounded side. Blood and water flow out, symbolizing baptism and the Eucharist and all the sacraments. The church is born from Jesus. And that's why the church, the mystical body of Christ, is itself meant to be an international organism. The church is not sequestered in one particular culture, not limited to one nation or time, but it's meant for the Christification of all time and all place. The church is the great international organism anticipated by the Magi who come to Christ at the beginning. Now, I know, God knows, you know, that church people up and down the centuries have not lived up to this ideal. You know, I know, God knows that lots of church people have succumbed to the worst aspects of nationalism, have given in to a kind of uh, cultural obsession, a particularistic obsession. But, Christians, the church at its best always preserves this ideal. You know, you probably know from past sermons of mine that one of my favorite periods of church history is the high Middle Ages, the time when my hero, Thomas Aquinas, was operating, the 13th century. Isn't it wonderful that Aquinas, an Italian, could have learned his Aristotle from an Irishman, Peter of Ireland, while he was studying in Naples. He was then educated by a German, Albert the Great, at a French university, the University of Paris. The internationalism of that time 
was a reflection of the fact that the church was the basic reality, more important than the nation-state. St. Anselm, another great medieval figure, another Italian, became a monk and abbot in France and eventually became Archbishop of Canterbury in England. Could you imagine it today? Could you imagine an Italian becoming the Archbishop of Canterbury? But in the Middle Ages, when the church, the mystical body, was the more elemental reality, this kind of internationalism was possible. Now, where do you see it today? It's very much in the imagination of John Paul II. Nowhere more clearly on display than in those world youth days that he has made so basic to his papacy. The Pope goes to places like Compostello, Manila, Paris, Toronto, Denver, Rome. Every two years, he gathers the young people of the world. And listen now, they come to these places bearing the marks and the signs of their own culture. Good. Their own country, their own flags, and so on. Yes, fine, good. But, but, in these gatherings, they realize they have a more fundamental unity. They realize they are part of an organism that is far more extensive, far more important than any of their particular cultures. They are members of the church, the mystical body of Christ. And so in these gestures, the Pope wants to inculcate in these young people a sense of the internationalism of the faith. It started way back when. It started at the Feast of the Epiphany when the Magi came to the Christ child, King of the Jews, yes, but also King of the whole world. In Christ there is no Jew or Greek. In Christ our divisions are overcome. And God bless you. I hope that you were moved today by the word on fire. I pray that together we might become a people on fire with love for God and neighbor here in Chicago and wherever these words are heard. Until we join Father Barron again next week, I'm Cardinal Francis George. God bless you. Most interment arrangements at the 42 Archdiocese of Chicago cemeteries are made through a pre-need plan. Your thoughtful planning today is economically prudent and contributes to peace of mind for you and your loved ones. Catholic Cemeteries counselors are available at your convenience. For more information, call 708-449-6100. Catholic Cemeteries, serving the Catholic community since 1837.